The Fake Show podcast is sponsored by the law firm of Hutchison & Stephan, North Fifth Brewing Company, Threads of Envy, The Tone Factory Recording Studios, Moonshot.com t-shirt designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Now your host, Jim Tofty. Guitarist Lawrence Juber is best known as a member of Paul McCartney's Wings, with whom he won a Grammy Award in 1980. He won a second Grammy for his solo guitar arrangements of the Pink Panther theme. His guitar work can also be heard on albums by Belinda Carlisle, Eric Carmen, Bill Medley and Jennifer Warren's Time of My Life, and Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. Lawrence's new album, A Day in My Life, is the fifth in his collection of immensely popular solo acoustic arrangements of iconic Beatles songs. I want to get into that new stuff and talk about working as a studio musician before meeting Paul McCartney, as I've got Lawrence Juber on the line right now in the UK. Hello, Jim. Hello, Lawrence. Welcome and congratulations on your new A Day in My Life album. It's really beautiful, and and I especially love And Your Bird Can Sing and Blackbird. I mean, it was just a fun project to do, that's for sure. Glad you like it. It was 60 years ago, as we're recording this interview, it was 60 years ago that the Beatles appeared live on the Ed Sullivan Show. When did you make that first connection with the Beatles, hearing them or seeing them for the first time? Well, you know, we didn't have, in England, we didn't have an Ed Sullivan moment like you did here in the States. I mean, this was 1963, the entire year, with this cresting wave of of Beatlemania, and it just got better and better. And by November, um, when they did the Royal Command performance, uh, my parents got me a guitar for my 11th birthday. And I, at that moment, it was like the peak of Beatlemania, or the first peak of Beatlemania. And yeah. I got a guitar that was kind of magical for, for a pre-teenager. And then, of course, it, you know, it just kept going. I mean, it wasn't like they were one-hit wonders. Can hit wonders. I mean, it's just a, a remarkable journey. It, it inspired my my desire to become a musician. And, and when I discovered that kind of the brass ring was to be a studio player, um, I that became kind of my my focus. And, and eventually, I, I became quite successful as a studio musician in London. Worked on a TV show with David Essex that wow. Jenny Lane was guest on, and, and Jenny recommended me to to Paul and Linda. To replace Jimmy McCulloch and I think it was you who said that before the Beatles really scored any of their hits, they were really the greatest cover band in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I kind of think of another band that that had such a repertoire of cover tunes and did them so well. You just have to look at you know the 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 first album, the the fact that they were. I think Carol King, you know, up to that point, probably made more money out of Beatle records than anything else. <laughs> and still tapestry, you know. Um, you know, they were just and because they were so dedicated to what they were doing, and and for me, I understand that because of my dedication to playing the guitar and to really kind of not 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 just mastering the instrument, but but it's it's the mastering the capability of making great music on it. And you know, in the in the in certainly in, in my world, the the Beatles music is some of the greatest that there is, and, and it's so uh, adaptable to being 
got a solo guitar. As a session player in London, did you work with uh, George Martin in those early days? I did. Actually, one of the very first albums I worked on was a, a record for a, an English jazz singer named Clear Lane. Um, and George Martin, George Martin was the producer on that. And, and it, that, was, that was great for me because I was very, very new to the session scene. And, and, and yeah, I hadn't learned all the tricks. And, and so, you know, there was a certain amount of guidance, and he did that really wonderfully well. And, and it was fascinating to hear him talk about, you know, the Beatles. You know, I remember one tune we were working on, we'd done about four takes of it, and I, and I didn't know kind of how far that was going to go. And he said, well, you know, with the Beatles, it wasn't how many takes, it was which day. Uh-huh. Because they would spend, especially around the White Album period, they would spend so long working on it on particular tunes that they might have multiple versions. It must have meant a lot to you that he was so open to talking about them. Oh, absolutely. It's just it's fascinating for me because, uh, you know, I was just starting to learn of the, what the role of the record producer was in, in the whole process. That's not anything that you, when you're listening to the songs, unless you have some insight, you don't necessarily think about it. I mean, yes, there's been... You know, people like Phil Spector, this kind of uh, producer as auteur kind of uh, scenario. But a lot of the time, the producer is just somebody in the background. But of course, you know, George was very much, I think, the fifth, really, the, the true fifth Beatle, at least musically. I think there was a moment at, uh, I believe it was Air Studios, where Paul, Linda, and Denny Lane walked in, and, and they asked you to kind of just hang out. So when was it that you actually heard from the band and and they said that they were interested in you well what happened was i was i'd worked with danny on the david Essex tv show in september of um 1977 and not long after i i was early for a session at air studios and they the three of them were, were working on uh, a tune of linda's they were doing a mix of it for a, an animated uh, promo for it and they invited me in, so I got to, and, and I'd actually met Paul briefly uh, prior to that. Um, but Denny you know, introduced me to them properly, and, and um, this, it, it wasn't like an instant thing. I didn't get the call until April of 78. Um, so you know, between you know, that period, it was really, you know, went through the whole of the winter, uh, fall and winter, uh, before I got the call. And as it happens, I was working in at Abbey Road in Studio Two, when the phone call came to go and you know, to ask me to audition for the band, and that, I think that was kind of an auspicious moment to, to actually be in that studio. After working with Wings, where we spent a lot of time in that room, I hadn't been back there until I went in to record this this latest album last summer in, in August of, of last year. Yeah. So uh, obviously, Paul said something like, "You passed the audition," or what did he say to you when when he said that he wanted <laughs> he said, you? What are you doing for the next few years? <laughs> wow. And in that moment, there was a nanosecond where I had to weigh having spent the, the previous, really the previous decade, kind of becoming it's uh, a good enough guitar player and a musician to become a studio musician and having a very active career doing that. And then um, then to, to have to give all of that up in order to play with Paul McCartney. And I couldn't say no, because, you know, having been a Beatles fan and also recognizing the opportunity. Um, so in that moment, my life changed. 
actually it was probably the moment where I launched into the guitar solo on Go Now, playing it with Denny on TV. And I only last week, saw, a few weeks ago, I saw the video of Denny actually doing the performance because I wasn't on camera when that happened. And right when I launched into the solo, you can see Denny smile. And I think that was the moment where my life changed. I just didn't know it. Uh, one of my favorites, Lawrence, is Arrow Through Me. Just an amazing composition, isn't it? And and I think I heard that there is actually no bass used in this. Yeah, there's no bass on that. It's just the electric piano, the left hand of the electric piano. And uh, it's the electric piano and the clavinet. Um, uh, that's all it is. In fact, Paul Simon was listening to a playback and was marveling at the fact that there was no bass. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, you just, you do creative things. I mean, you know, there's, uh, I think, I Will, the Beatles song, has Paul actually singing a, a vocal bass part. Uh, if you listen carefully, there's a regular bass, but there's also Paul, you can hear Paul's voice duplicating. Whatever makes for an interesting record, you know, that's the thing. And Spin It On, I mean, this great punk rockabilly feel to that. Paul must have yeah. loved what you did with that. Well, I sat in the control room and eye to eye, you know, he brought that solo out of me. And, and that was, you know, really me feeling like I was starting to con- truly connect with my creativity. So, you know, that's a very special moment. This new album, The Day in My Life, with, you know, being able to go back to Abbey Road, record a dozen of my Beatle arrangements with the intention of having a vinyl release on it. Um, and it, it just kind of almost completing a, a, you know, kind of like a homecoming. Being able to, to record solo in that studio was, was something that, that I just, I, I didn't realize until I was doing it how much I was going to appreciate. I love that there will be a vinyl release. It's Grammy Award-winning guitarist for Paul McCartney and Wings and releasing his new album, Lawrence Juber's A Day in My Life, featuring acoustic renditions of classic Beatles songs. You can find it on Amazon, Apple, Spotify, all the major platforms. Lawrence, just an honor. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Well, thank you very much. It's fascinating to me how just for a moment, Lawrence thought, do I give up my studio job? Well, yes, it's Paul McCartney, for God's sake. That finishes this episode of the Fake Show podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you next time. Listen to the Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.